Bibles, I know I told you you could sit down just a second ago. If you stand in honor of the reading of the word of the Lord, we're going to go to the book of Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17, beginning with verse number one. Is this water mine? It looks fresh. <laughs> you know what? I grew up going to youth camp and camp meeting in Lufkin. And if you grew up surviving the water in Lufkin, I'm pretty sure I'll make it through this bottle of water, even if somebody's already blessed it a little bit. We'll be fine. <laughs> Genesis chapter 17, beginning with verse number 1. The Bible says, And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold my covenant is with thee. And thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but, by, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. I'm going to preach to you this morning from this subject. I failed, but I'm not finished. I failed. But I'm not finished. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, for the power and the authority that is in your word. I thank you, God, for the anointing that I feel resting upon me even now. God, I pray that you would move in this place. Let your will be done, God. I pray you would touch every heart. I pray you would touch every life. I pray, God, that somebody would be changed today before they leave. That whatever it is that we walked in here in need of, God, that you would meet that need today in this moment and in this service, God. We give you the praise and we give you the glory for it. We lay everything before you today, God, knowing that you are able to do all things and all things well. We thank you for that promise today, God. And we worship you this morning. Morning. in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, and everybody said amen. amen, amen, God bless you today, you can be seated in the presence of the Lord, I failed, but I'm not finished, Abram had lived a good life, Abram had been blessed, Abram was successful, and Abram had become a very wealthy man. He had a good life. He was enjoying the blessings of God. But in Abram's life, there was one thing that was missing. Abram wanted a son. And Abram did not have a son yet. Abram was getting up in age. Didn't have any children. He had wealth and success. But he did not have anyone to pass that down to. And God came to Abram in a vision when he was about 70 years old. And he made a covenant with Abram. He said, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Now, 70 years old, to begin that process is probably already a little bit behind the time. And I'm sure Abram probably thought, ah, well, God, I don't know about all this now. We, we, need to, we might need to talk about this. But this was the promise that God brought to him. I'm going to make you the father of 
of many nations. And so now time begins to march by. Without doubt, Abram began to get frustrated and at one point finally began to get desperate. I want to just pause for a moment and encourage someone this morning that in the midst of this thing that we're going through right now, don't allow it to bring you to a point of frustration and desperation where you begin to doubt the voice of God that is spoken in your life. Don't allow what we're facing right now, and believe me, I know it's irritating. I know it's frustrating. I don't know if there's anybody that enjoys wearing a mask. I don't know if there's anybody, especially not me. I guess maybe introverts were built for this. But man, I like to hug people and high-five people and, and get close to people. I like that. That's just who I am. It's how I live. But here we are. But I want to encourage you this morning, don't allow the frustration that we're feeling in this moment to drive us to a place where we begin to doubt the authority and the power of God. Because I've got news for somebody today, none of this caught God by surprise. None of this is out of His control. He's still on the throne. He's still able. He's still everywhere. He's still all-knowing. He's still all-powerful. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God! God is still in control. And don't allow yourself to get to the place where you get so frustrated and you get so desperate. That's where Abram finds himself. God spoke. God promised. God made a covenant with him. But over the course of time, Abram gets frustrated. And Abram gets desperate. And when Abram was 86 years old, his wife came to him and told him, Abram, why don't you go in there and take Hagar? We'll help God out. We're going to give God a hand. Because we're frustrated in this situation. We're desperate right now. Abram, why don't you go in there? We're going to help God Fulfill his promise. Because frustration and desperation will make you do crazy things. Frustration and desperation can cause you to make mistakes. And so Abram goes along with his wife's plan. Goes in to Hagar. And Ishmael was conceived. The biblical name of Hagar is a very interesting meaning. It means flight flight and I'm standing here in this room today to reach for somebody who took a flight of the flesh in a moment of frustration and desperation I want you to understand something today the flight of the flesh will cost you the flight of the flesh that we take in moments of frustration and in moments of confusion and in moments of desperation, that flight of the flesh is an expensive one. It will cost you a lot more than you ever dreamed that it would cost you. It's not fly like flying Southwest Airlines where you check your first two bags for free. When you take a flight of the flesh, it's going to load you down with as much baggage and with as much luggage as it can possibly saddle you with. And I'm talking 
talking to somebody today who knows what it's like to have the blessings of God in your life and you know what it's like to have the hand of God resting on your life and God had given you some promises about some things that he wanted to do in you and through you but somewhere in the midst of the waiting process hell sold you a bill of goods and hell made you believe that you could make this turn take this flight and you'd help God out but you found yourself in a mess because of the moment of frustration and desperation that you did not handle correctly. Abram waited and waited on God when he took that flight of the flesh. Abraham knew what it was like, or Abram, excuse me, knew what it was like to hear from God. But after his flight of the flesh, Pastor Candy, God went silent in his life. Silent. No words. No promises. No discussion. No encouragement. Abram, accustomed to hearing the voice of God on a regular basis in his life, now all of a sudden, and 13 years went by before Abram ever heard from God again. And that's where we pick up in our text. I want you to know something. 13 years is a long, long time for someone who's accustomed to hearing the voice of God to suddenly not hear it anymore. 13 years is a long, long time for someone who's accustomed to being right up next to the power and the glory of God to suddenly find themselves in a place that's void of God's voice and His power and His presence. Now hear me. I'd, I would have loved to have walked in here today and preached something that would make you excited and make you shout. And we'll probably do that before it's over. But I've come in this room today to help somebody. I don't know exactly who it is that I'm talking to right now. But I've come into this place right now directed by God to help somebody who's found yourself in a moment. You're in the aftermath of making mistakes. You're in the aftermath of getting frustrated and getting desperate. You're in the aftermath of finding yourself after the fly to the flesh saying God where are you and even beyond this room I'm talking to some families right now that are in this room that you've got children you've got parents you've got grandchildren who are away from God right now and you don't understand and you've done everything you can and you've prayed every prayer you can think to pray and you've believed and you've shouted and you've danced in advance and you've done all that stuff and they're still out there on the flight of the flesh they're still out there living like there's no tomorrow they're still out there living like there's not a heaven to gain and a hell to shun and I've come to, to this 
pulpit today to encourage some mama or some daddy. Don't give up on them yet. Don't give up on them yet. It's the flight of the flesh and it's expensive. But just because somebody failed, it does not mean they are finished. Imagine with me. Abram makes his mistake. Gets involved and tries to help God out. Ishmael's born. Abram goes 13 years now without hearing from God. And now all of a sudden, 13 years later, is where we pick up in our text. If you'll put it up there again, Genesis 17, beginning with verse number 1. This is now 13 years since the last time that Abram heard the voice of God. He's now 99 years old. And the Lord comes to him in verse number 2. And he begins to talk to him again. He comes to him and he says, Abram, I'm going to make my covenant between me and thee. I'm going to multiply you exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, remember, remember, God made a covenant with Abram. And Abram messed up. God didn't fail him. God didn't let him down. But Abram messed up. And he's now gone 13 years without hearing from God. But suddenly, Bishop, here God comes. Abram, as for me, my covenant is still with thee. I don't see God coming up and saying, Abram! When I read this, I don't picture God stomping into that room, slamming His finger down on Abram's nose and saying, Abram, as for me, I kept my promise. I kept my covenant. I did what I said I would do. You're the one that messed up. You're the one that was foolish. You're the one that failed. You're the one. I don't see that. Instead, when I read that verse, I picture God slipping up beside Abram, just hoping that Abram's going to respond and saying, Abram, As for me, my covenant is still with you. Abram, you're still my boy. Abram, I'm not backing off from the promise that I made to you. 
You see, I can stand here today and preach this to you from a place of experience because I know what it feels like to feel like I failed God and failed God miserably. I know what it's like to be raised in a preacher's home but yet still lay my head on my pillow at night and think, oh God, please don't come back tonight. God, please don't let me die. I know what it feels like to know that I've messed up and to know that I've failed and to know that God must be looking at me saying, yeah, he's a lost cause. We'll just push him to the side. I'll have to find somebody else. I know what that feels like. But God comes up and says, Abram, as for me, my covenant is still with you. And I still want to fulfill my promise. And I'm not giving up on you. I'm here to tell somebody in this room, there is life after failure. There is life after failure. Your failure does not have to be final. Your failure does not have to be the last chapter in your book. Your failure is not final. Now watch this. God told Abram, he said, your name will no longer be Abram. I'm changing it to Abraham. Later on in that same conversation, God said, your wife's name is no longer going to be Sarai, but now it's going to be Sarah. Abram meant high father. Sarai meant my princess. And God changed their names to Abraham which means father of a multitude, and Sarah, which means mother of nations. In other words, God was looking at them and saying, I'm going to change your name. And I know you made a mistake, but you're going to be known for what I promised you rather than the mistake that you made in the process. Let me say that again. God is able to step into your world and change your heart and change your life, and change your name, so that you will forever be known as what God promised you would be, rather than the mistakes that you made along the way to get where God said you could go. And I know, I hear you. Preacher, you just don't know. And you're worried about what people are going to say. And you're worried about what people are going to think about you. And you're afraid for how they're going to respond. I want you to understand this morning that's a lie from hell. That's some of the baggage that hell loaded you up with when you took your flight. I stand here today in defense of the fallen. I stand here today in defense of those who have failed. You may have failed, but you're not finished. There's a God with wide open arms just waiting for you to turn back to Him. There's a God with wide open arms that says, I can put everything back together and I can restore you to the place that you never dreamed you could reach. There's a God in this room right now that's got the ability to create a new path for you, to create a new name for you. Old things are passed away and behold all things are become new. There's a church here that's waiting with open arms for you to come back home. There's a church family here that's waiting to embrace you, that's waiting to love you, that's waiting to restore you. Why? Because because I may have failed, but I'm 
not finished. When the prodigal son came home, his father was watching and waiting. And when that boy finally came to himself and he came back home, his father, he looked at his father, he said, I'm not worthy to be your son anymore, just make me a servant. And his dad said, not a chance. Bring me the fatted calf. Bring me the robe. Bring me the family ring. Bring all the stuff. Get the party together. We're fixing to celebrate. And he restored his son to the place of sonship. I'm here to tell somebody today that even though you may have failed, God's plan has not changed. You still have a calling. You still have his hand on you. You still have a purpose. He still has a plan. I failed. But I'm not finished. I'm hastening to a close. Jacob found himself at his uncle Laban's place. As he's arriving there, he sees Rachel. He sees how beautiful she was. Hey, I want to marry that girl. And so, he goes and talks to Laban. Laban says, yeah, you work for me for seven years. I'll let you marry her. So Jacob does. The wedding is set. The invitations are sent out. Everything's perfect. Everything's in order. Life couldn't get any better. The biblical wedding celebrations took usually around seven days. That would get annoying. Anybody that's not been married very long, you definitely remember, probably anybody that's been married or is about to get married, you know that waiting on that wedding day, my goodness, it's like a kid waiting on Christmas. Like, Man, I can't wait for it to get here. Can you imagine all that anticipation and build up and waiting and waiting and waiting and then the wedding finally arrives and it's seven days. Like, Good grief, I'm ready for all these people to go home. That's where Jacob was. Finally, the celebration's coming to a close. And the next morning, Jacob wakes up and rolls over expecting to look into the eyes of the beautiful Rachel. But instead, he found himself looking at Leah. Now, the Bible said that Rachel was very beautiful. And lovely. I mean, she, just, she was the whole package. She had it all. Leah, however, the Bible tells us, you know, the Bible described her as tender-eyed. And if you don't know what tender-eyed means, I'll tell you. That's biblical for the ugly duckling. 
Now, you think I'm joking. I'm actually being pretty serious. But here's what it really breaks down to. Being tender-eyed was actually a reference to a disease of the eyes that would, in minor cases, it destroyed the eyelashes. So you can imagine someone with no eyelashes is now looking back at Jacob in the morning. Tender-eyed was a disease that not only would it, in minor cases, destroy the eyelashes, but over time it would actually bring on blindness. It would completely destroy someone's sight. That was Leah. The person who was walking around kind of struggling. That's why a lot of times you hear people refer to her as squinty-eyed because she was squinting her eyes all the time trying to get focused and trying to get vision. And that's who Jacob wakes up next to. And suddenly Jacob now knows what it feels like for life to take a drastic and unexpected turn. Stay with me from this. I know Jacob had to reach the point where he asked himself, how could this happen? How could I be so careless? How could I allow myself to become so distracted and so confused that a mistake like this could take place? How could I do this? But I want you to watch what Leah was able to bring to Jacob's life. The first child that Leah birthed was Reuben. Reuben's name means behold, a son. If you break it down even further, Reuben, the name Reuben is two halves. It's Ru and Ben. Ru meaning vision and Ben meaning son. And so the very thing that Jacob did not want birthed vision and sight into his life. The next child that she birthed was Simeon. Simeon's name means obedience, listening. So not only did the thing that Jacob did not want birth vision and sight into his life, but it also birthed hearing into his life that led to obedience. thing that Jacob didn't want the thing that when you study it you even find out that it's actually referenced that Jacob hated Leah but it brought vision and sight and hearing into his life then we find that Leah birthed Levi into Jacob's life and one of the things that the tribe of Levi was known for was intercession You hear me. The ugly things of life will bring about intercession in your world like the pretty things of life never will. 
the ugly moments of life that you walk into and you say, I hate this. I don't want to be here. I don't understand this. How could I let this happen? Where did I go wrong? I know I made a mistake. I must have failed somewhere. What in the world am I in? Those are the moments in your life that they can bring you into a place of prayer that brings you closer to God than you ever would have gotten while you're on the mountaintop. It'll bring you closer to God than it ever would have brought you when you're celebrating the bountiful blessings of God. Which now brings us to the son, Judah. You've been around church for any length of time. You know that Judah means praise. The ugly things in life will birth a praise in you that the beautiful things can't. Oh, I know it's easy, Brother Gandy, when everything's going good to just, oh, yes, God, I praise you for that. Woo. But when you walk through the darkness, when you stumble through the valley, and you find that he's still a way maker, when you stumble through the hardships of life and you find out that he's still the king of glory, it'll put a praise in your life that goes so much deeper than just a patty cake for Jesus and a lovely wave offering in the sanctuary. It'll put something in your life that says, God, you're worthy of my best praise. God, you're worthy of everything that I could offer you. God, you're worthy. Which is where we get the scripture, I believe, that says to praise him according to his excellent greatness. You really find out the greatness of God when you're desperate. You really find out the greatness of God when you're in the struggle. You really find out the greatness of God when you're in the valley. Here's the other thing that Judah brought. Revelation chapter 5 beginning with verse number 1. Revelation chapter 5 beginning with verse number 1. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. Verse 5. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. You know who we call Jesus? The lion of the tribe of Judah. From the thing that Jacob hated, from Leah who was ugly and who could have been pushed aside as nothing. 
She brought him sight and vision. She brought him hearing. She brought him intercession. She brought him praise. And she also brought forth the lineage that produced the Savior of the world. It didn't come from Rachel. It didn't come from the beautiful. It didn't come from the perfect. It didn't come from the flawless. It came from the one that had problems. It came from the one that had hatred. It came from the one who wasn't even supposed to be there. It came from the mistake. It came from the failure. And that is the one that brought forth the lineage of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Stand with me, please. Go ahead and play and give him some hope. I'm almost done. Steve Wynn. I close with this last story. Steve Wynn. World-renowned for his art collections and also for his hand in building several notable places in Las Vegas. If you've ever been to Las Vegas, you see the Wynn Hotel standing towering over there in, in, in the midst of all the hotels. There's numerous buildings that Steve Wynn was responsible for building. He was a huge art collector. He came across an art piece. It was a painting by Pablo Picasso. It was called the Larev. Larev. It means the dream. Steve Wynn fell so deeply in love with this painting that he purchased it for 50 million dollars it became the centerpiece of his collection eventually when decided that he was going to sell that piece and invest that money into something else he had a personal friend named mr cohen who agreed to purchase the larev for 139 million dollars Mr. Wynn had a party. He invited stars and celebrities from all over the world. He had his art all around in this room, and he had that special painting, Bishop the Larev, on an easel right there in the center of the room. He had just sold it for $139 million. Steve Wynn had a disease. It caused his equilibrium to be messed up and be off most of the time. It would cause him sometimes to lose his balance. And he was very demonstrative. He always, when he talked, he just he moved his arms and his hands and he talked with his hands. He was just very demonstrative. And he was standing there next to that painting in the middle of the room that he had just sold to somebody for $139 million. He was standing there moving his arms and, and, and just very much demonstrative in his conversation and he lost his balance. And as he began to fall, he reached to catch himself and he plunged his arm through the middle of that painting. And the room went dead silent. And he stood up and kind of nervously shook himself and dusted his arms off and kind of offered up a little nervous laugh and said, well, it was better to be me than any of you. But he knew, I've got a phone call to make. So he picked up the phone and he called Mr. Cohen and he said, Mr. Cohen, I've got some bad news for you, sir. 
he said, that painting that you purchased from me, he said, and he told him the story of what happened. And he said, you've got a couple of options here. He said, I have an insurance policy on that painting. He said, you're more than welcome to go and cash that policy in. It's worth well more than you paid for the painting. He said, or if you would prefer, he said, I'll buy it back from you for the same price that you paid for it. Mr. Cohen thought about it and later he was recorded to say, he said, I was just an investor. He said, I didn't have any ties to that painting. It didn't mean anything to me. He said, so I made the decision to sell it back to him. He said, because he was invested in that painting. You hear me? When the unexpected happens in your life, when the failures come, it is important who you place your broken pieces into their hands. You be careful when you're broken and when you're confused and you're hurting. You be careful who you go to and say, here, I want to put this in your hands. So Mr. Cohen said, I'm going to sell it back to him. So he did. Steve Wynn began to make some phone calls looking for someone who might be able to fix that painting. And he found an art surgeon. And he called him and he came over and looked at it. He said, Mr. Wynn, he said, I can fix it, but it's going to take me a little while. He said, you need to give me a few weeks. He said, but I'm going to fix it. And he said, when I'm finished with it, it's going to be worth more than it ever was to start with. So he picked up the painting and he took it. Several weeks later, Mr. Wynn receives a phone call. He says, hey, it's ready. Come by and take a look. Mr. Wynn walked into that room and the painting was up. And from the front, it looked perfect. You never knew that anything had ever happened to it. And that art surgeon said, come around here and look at the back. He got back there to the back and you could see the scars. You could see the tears. You could see the places that had frayed. You could see where it was stretched and it was pulled and it was sewn back together. You could see all of that from behind. But from the front, it was perfect. He took that painting that he had originally purchased for $50 million and then sold for 139 and then he had destroyed it. And after it was restored, he sold it again for $155 million. It was worth more restored than it ever was to begin with. I feel the Holy Ghost in this room right now. And I'm here to tell somebody, you hear me, if you don't hear anything else that I've said this whole time, you hear this. God would rather restore you than replace you.
Mr. Wynn had all the money in the world. He could have thrown that thing away and gone and bought something twice as nice. But he said, no. I want that one. Because just because there was a mistake does not mean it's over. Ah! Just because there was a failure does not mean it has to be discarded and thrown away. I'd rather restore it than go buy something new. And God stepped into this room to tell somebody today, you hear me, I'd rather restore you than replace you with someone else. And whatever it is that may be behind you, the scars and the rips and the tears and the failures, whatever it is that may be behind you, when God gets finished with you, you're going to be worth more than you ever were to start with because we serve a God who would rather restore you than replace you. Would you throw your hands up all over this room right now? Come on, I feel the supernatural wave of the Spirit in this room right now. God's ready to heal some things in somebody's heart. God's ready to mend some things in somebody's spirit. God's ready to restore unto somebody the joy of your salvation. I challenge you right now. I know things are different. I know we can't respond the way we've always responded. But would you turn your seat into an altar right now and let God let God perform surgery on your spirit right now I failed I failed